by faith, Enoch. And if you're not familiar with Enoch, he's one of the, the dudes in the Old Testament. Uh, he's Methuselah's father. And it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. So he just literally walked into heaven with God. I don't know how that works, but uh, I think that would be kind of cool. Um, and it says, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And, and then it goes on to say, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever wants to draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who see him. But I love this phrase that says that he was taken and was commended as having pleased God. It didn't say anything about what he did. It just said that he walked with the Lord and that he was with the Lord. Like he was just with the Lord and that pleased him. And so I think that's how, let's posture our hearts like that this morning. Let's just be with Jesus because that's pleasing to him. I don't, I can't explain it to you, but I think that's what moves the Lord's heart is when we're just with him. You know, you remember the story of Mary and Martha, right? And Martha's running around. She's got like, you know, I don't know how she did it. She's preparing the house, right? And then Mary's just sitting there and Martha's like kind of frustrated, like Jesus, like Mary, I need her help. Like she's just sitting at your feet. And Jesus is like, hey, she's choosing the good thing to just be with me and listen to my teaching. Not that there's not a time to do stuff. Obviously God calls us into assignments. We're gonna do things with him, but it's from the place of being with him and sitting at his feet and just listening to him that we can do stuff. So anyway, that moves my heart. Hope it encourages your heart this morning and allows you to posture yourself. So this morning we were talking about discipleship. Um, my agenda this morning is really one thing, is that we as a community, that we as a family would grow in our understanding of what it means to be a disciple. That's, what, that's, my, that's my whole heart this morning. And, and that from that place, we would give Jesus our yes and we would follow him. So that's my heart this morning is that we would grow in our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we'd say, yes, Lord, and we would follow him. Y'all with me? So let's roll with it this morning. Um, I'm gonna pray for us this morning. And then we're gonna read um, in Acts chapter nine, verses 10 through 19. Um, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are present with us right now. Um, you love to dwell in your people, among your people. And God, I just ask for an increase of your manifest presence here this morning. I thank you that you love to give good gifts to your children. And you say, if we ask that you'll give us more of your Holy Spirit, that's what you say. And so that's what I'm asking for this morning. I want more. I want more of your Holy Spirit so that I can be a vessel, Lord, a conduit of your Holy Spirit and your love. So Lord, would you make us more like you, Jesus, this morning? Amen. All right, so Acts 9, 10 through 19 should be up on the screen. Um, I'm just gonna read it out. Feel free to read along if you want to. I'm kind of gonna go at a nine verses. I got a lot here to unpack. And so uh, I'm just gonna read out, okay? Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. What a sweet story, huh? You track with me? I mean, this is guy, like we only see him, we, we hear about him. Paul gives a description on it about him later on in chapter 22, but he's not the same Ananias that got struck dead for hypocrisy in chapter five. So don't mix up with that guy. And he's not Ananias of chapter 23, who's the high priest at the time. This is some no name. It says that he was a, what? A disciple. He's just a disciple, like no accolades. He wasn't like slaying out there doing this or that. He was just a disciple. And um, I love that because a disciple is simply just a pupil or a learner. And we see throughout scripture what discipleship looks like. And um, the first kind of thing that really came to me as kind of studying this and thinking about it is, and it should be up here on the screen, that um, true discipleship, like trying to ask that question, what does it mean to be a disciple, right? And I think really true discipleship begins with beholding Jesus. Does that make sense? Like, like to be a disciple, what do we have to do? We have to look at someone to model them, right? Like in our home, our children are my disciples. I have three little disciples. And they, without even, like, I don't have to tell them how to act. They just watch me. And then they act like I act. So if one of them is, you know, put off and impatient, well, guess where they got that from, right? Like dad probably was impatient. And so, you know, like they model. And then the good things, right? Like if, if they're doing something that is, you know, uh, of value. And, not, and so our kids, they just easily model us. I mean, we all have that experience. We all have parents if we're in this room somewhere. And we, you know, model what we saw in the home or didn't see in the home or wasn't available in the home, right? So there's, there's that, that level of the, we What we see is what we, we become. And so discipleship is that. It begins with beholding Jesus. And so um, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3. So if you have your Bibles, I didn't actually put this one in there, but I just want to read to you a couple verses. It says in verse 15 of chapter 3, it says, whenever Moses, he's talking about the law of Moses, is read, there's like a covering, a veil over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So when you turn to Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, there's like this, like scales, right? Saul, the scales fell off his eyes as Ananias is praying for him, right? So something's removed. It says the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, right? So we walk into the freedom that is Jesus Christ that he offers. And it says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding, there's that word, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. So disciples don't just stay stagnant in one spot. Disciples become like the thing they're beholding. And we see that right here in 2 Corinthians 3. And it says that we with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being what? Transformed, right? So discipleship isn't happening if somebody's not being transformed, right? So if we're making disciples, that was the great commission, right? She says, go to all the ends of the earth, make disciples, right? Of all people, all nations, tribes, tongues, start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then Samaria, keep moving, make disciples, but we're not making disciples if, if we're not being, we're not being a disciple, right? Being discipled if we're not being transformed. And we're being transformed into something because we're all beholding something. We're all looking at something. Like I promise you, we're all looking at something. Sometimes that something is like 4.7 inches and looks like a rectangle. Like, I mean, just being real, just being real honest. I mean, that's where a lot of our attention goes. 
And so from one image of degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, there is spirit. So that just really stuck out to me as I was preparing this is that what we behold is what we become. And so think about this, Paul, right? He's the Pharisee of all Pharisees, right? Like he is the dude and he's got the papers to round up the soldiers of the way, the followers of the way and put them in chains. He knows the law backwards, forwards. In his head, he had a lot of knowledge about God. Would you all agree with me on that? Okay, so in his head, he had a lot of knowledge about God, but where did that get him with regards to his relationship with God, right? We can have all the knowledge about God up in our heads and know the, the word backward and forward, but that what does that say? Does that determine our relationship with him? And in this instance, he was God's enemy, right? The Pharisees were the enemy of God. They knew the law that was ingrained in them from a young age, and yet in position, relational position, they were enemies of God. So it just goes to show that we can know a lot about him, but if we haven't seen him, if we haven't seen Jesus and he hasn't revealed himself to us, then we can just, we're, we're the same as Paul. And that's where we all start off, right? We all start off, Saul, excuse me. His Roman name's Paul. Nick clarified that for us all last week. I appreciate that point. But um, so how can someone have so much knowledge about God and yet end up his enemy? And it wasn't until Jesus did what? He blinded him on the, on the road, right? Until he revealed himself. It says in Revelation chapter one, it says that Jesus' face is like the sun. So if Jesus shows up and reveals himself to you, you are going to be blinded. Has everyone, anyone ever tried to look at the sun? It's painful, right? Like you can't see, um, so don't do it. Um, but in, so, so, so it's like looking into the sun. So the blinding light of his face, he looks upon the God man, the son of man. His face is shining like the sun and then boom, what happens? His life is transformed completely, right? So as we behold Jesus, we're gonna be become more like him. And that is true discipleship at the core. Um, discipleship, like I said, it begins when we see him, the righteous one. Jesus is our savior and is our king. See, his first coming was all about what? Jesus' first coming was all about salvation, right? He was providing a way for us to be in what? Relationship with God. So he revealed himself, not as the Messiah. People said he was the Messiah and he agreed with it, right? Messiah meant king or the one who was gonna deliver the people. And everybody's like, he's the Messiah. If you read through the gospels, I think you'll be surprised. Jesus described himself 69 times. And almost every single one of those descriptions that he said, this is who I am, was Daniel chapter seven, I think it's verse 14, the son of man. So go read through the gospels again. It's your new assignment. Read through all four gospels, chart down how many times Jesus says something about himself. He says he is the son of man. And what was he pointing to? Was it hard for people to believe that Jesus was human? Answer me, yes or no, what do you think? He was a man, right? He had flesh. It wasn't hard for him to determine that he was human. People saw he was human. What he had to prove, if you will, is that he was what? Divine, right? He was the son of man. And this son of man in Daniel chapter seven is the one who approaches the ancient of days. The only one that can approach God the father is somebody who's also divine and holy and perfect and righteous. And so he describes himself throughout the gospels as the son of man. So he came to show that he was the divine man, but he came to rescue, he came to save and redeem. I love that song we sang this morning. He came to redeem so that we might be going out and doing the same thing, right? Presenting the gospel. And so the kingdom is what he secured. So on the cross, Jesus comes, he comes as the son of man. He says what? Repent for the kingdom of what? God is at hand right? And he says, I'm the son of man. I'm the guy who's securing the kingdom. That's what he does. His life as a man, the divine human, the perfect man. He dies. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 50, so many passages, right? Talk about Jesus' death, prophesied about it, 
four or 500 years in advance, right? He fulfills every single one of those passages to the fullest about his first coming. And then his death, right? And then we see that he takes on the punishment, the worst punishment imaginable. Imagine he has to take on the father, literally has to turn his face away and, and put judgment on his son. Like that is not something I would ever want to do. I would never want to put wrath and judgment on my kids. Like I just think about that as a dad, like that's a terrible thought, right? But that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus incurred, right? Was the father's, the wrath for sin. It's what he took on so that we could be in right relationship with him, right? And so he puts to death the son, and but it doesn't stop there. The only way to secure the kingdom, right? He comes and lives as a divine man. He's crucified for our sin, and then he rises from the dead, right? That's that's what our, our hope is based on, is that he rose from the dead, right? And so we have the resurrection. And so the resurrection is good news, right? Would you all agree with me? It doesn't always feel like good news, right? Because not everything feels good. It's not about how it feels. It's about the truth of the matter, right? And so when my, my feelings are over here or they're raging down here or I don't feel anything, that's okay because the truth is still the truth and it's still a stake in the ground. He secured what? The kingdom. And so the kingdom is established. He commissions his disciples, right? His pupils, his students, his followers. And what does he tell them to do? He says, go advance my kingdom, advance my kingdom, right? Bring this good news, make what? Disciples, say it with me, make disciples, right? And then we're gonna advance my kingdom. And so when Jesus, he wants a people from every tongue, every tribe, every group, every family. And so we rewind back to Acts 1, 4. He says, let me give you what? The gift of the Holy Spirit, right? So we got, he comes, he says, I'm giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can do what? You can receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. So Ananias, right? Okay, tie me back, bring me back, Joseph. He's what? He is a disciple. And I want us to really understand the purpose of, of understanding that is that he is a disciple. And so um, I, I just want us to really rest there. So I'm gonna kind of fast forward. I got a couple of thoughts here. I'm just gonna kind of do a little couple of cross outs. Um, but I just going back to what disciples do, they what? They behold, right? They behold the man and he is divine. He's so smart. He's so strong. He's so jealous for his people. But I also wanna paint another picture of this man. And so that we can kind of have, understand what our future hope is, right? So at the beginning, he comes his first time, he secures the kingdom. The kingdom is secured, right? Would you all agree with me? The kingdom has been secured. His life, death, and resurrection secured the kingdom. But the good news of the kingdom isn't just salvation from sins. It's huge. I'm not gonna minimize that. We need to preach that gospel, right? You can only be saved through what? Confessing Jesus' lordship, right? He's, he comes and he saves us. He rescues us. He redeems us, right? That's awesome news. But the gospel of the kingdom is what must be preached to the whole earth. And then the end will come is what it says in Matthew 24, 14. And that gospel of the kingdom also is a gospel about a what? A king. Do you guys understand that? It's a king. He's a king. And what is he doing? He's going to what? We sang this morning, Hosanna, save us, right? What is Jesus going to do on his second return? He's going to set up his kingdom in its fullness. He's going to fulfill every single word that hasn't yet been fulfilled. Um, I don't know if you all know this. Uh, I've been doing some studies. There's about what, uh, three books. It's about, I think it's like 89 chapters in the four gospels about Jesus' first coming and his, his securing of the kingdom. And then if you read throughout scripture from Old Testament, from Deuteronomy, through Psalms, Isaiah, all the prophets, there's a number of passages in the New Testament. There's about 150 chapters that talk about what Jesus is gonna do when he returns as king. So there's double the amount of information about his future promises that he has yet and will fulfill. He secured all of them at the cross. They're all secure. They're not going anywhere. He's gonna do every single thing he said 
And yet there's still this tension we live in, right? The kingdom is, it's, it's coming. It's here, but it's yet, it's yet to be. And so he's offering an invitation. And so there is a day when Jesus will set foot on the earth. And at that point, right, he will establish his kingdom. And what happens in scripture, you see a lot of times, right? Kingdoms happen when David came into power or one of the other kingdoms came into power. What happened? He eradicated all evil that was a part of the old kingdom. And so there, there is still a kingdom of darkness. We're in this war, right? And Jesus, when he sets foot on this earth, he's gonna eradicate every bit of evil. And it says that the nations will surround Jerusalem. He's gonna, he's gonna end all wicked, evil rulership and leadership on this earth and planet and set up and establish his kingdom in its fullness. And he'll do it in a single day, if you read the scriptures. And if y'all wanna dive deeper, let me know. I love talking about this stuff, but we're gonna stay on point here is we've got a gospel of the kingdom. We're looking at Jesus, we're becoming like him. And so this week, the kids and I, we were reading the story of when Jesus' disciples went to get the donkey. So when they see Jesus, when we're his disciples, we see Jesus, we do what he says, right? And so they're going to get this donkey. I love this story because they go into town and like Jesus is like, hey, if they ask you what you're doing as you're taking the donkey without asking, um, just let them know I sent you. (laughs) How awesome is that? So I I try to like replay this in my head. Like if somebody shows up in my driveway and they're going to take my car, I'm like, hey, walk out. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, oh, would Jesus tell me to take your car? Um, I don't think so. So just get that, that little picture, right? Like, but they were, what were they? They were doing what Jesus said, right? Because they saw what he was doing. They saw his power. Jesus was perfect. He's the perfect guy to follow. He's the perfect man to follow. He's so perfect in his discipleship. And we're called to make disciples. We're gonna do it imperfectly. But if we're looking at the man and we're teaching others, right? to not just look at me, look at the man, Jesus, right? As the making disciples, our goal should always be to point our kids, our friends, our family, anybody who God's brought into our life to shepherd or disciple, we're gonna point them to who? Jesus, Jesus. That's all I'm doing this morning. That's all I wanna do. I want, I want you all to see Jesus, the perfect man. And so we're gonna talk about Ananias now because he's a, he's a model of, of Jesus. And so in verse um, 10, it says he was a disciple. Now we're gonna get back to disciple. There's this, there's this description of Ananias in chapter 22, verses 12. It says, Ananias was a devout man according to the law. He was well spoken of by the Jews who lived there. I love this description, right? It gives us a description. I don't know if it came up on the screen, but um, it says he was a devout man according to the law and he was well spoken of. So we're gonna unpack this this morning. We're gonna, what was Ananias? What does it mean to be a disciple? And, uh, but I feel like there's something, there's two things here that the Lord really, I feel like would encourage us this morning as we dig into this. So you all ready? Get your pens ready. Number one, as we're looking at this, keep this in mind. There's no assignment in the kingdom of God that is too small. So we see this model by Ananias, right? His assignment was, the only one we see in scripture was, go pray for Saul that his eyes would be unblinded, tell him to get baptized and fill the Holy Spirit. So there's no assignment in God's kingdom that is too small. I think we need to hear this because some of us feel like we've got small assignments and they literally are this small, like they're tiny, right? And some of us feel like we're not doing anything with our work life or this life or that, the other, but there is no assignment in the kingdom of God that is too small. And the Lord really, I think, wants to kind of massage that into our soul this morning. And uh, faithfulness in the little things to him, they matter, right? So if we're, we're, we're faithful with a little assignment of, of discipling my, my three little ones, um, then the Lord will, he says he's gonna give us more, right? But let's just start with the, the assignment he's given us. And then the, the second thing that I really want us to hone in on this morning is that, and this is modeled by Ananias. And so we'll really focus in on him as well. Availability, your availability is one of the greatest assets in the kingdom of God. Your availability to the Lord 
is one of the greatest assets in the kingdom of God. When we as a family can, I think, understand that as a family, that our availability to each other and to the Lord and what he is doing, it matters. And it's one of the greatest assets in the kingdom of God is our availability. I've said it like six times. So that's hopefully should be ingrained in your head. Um, what does that mean? It means this. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm available. What do you need me to do? Awesome. Go pray for someone. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. He's a murderer. Great. Okay. I'm excited about that one. He's killed a lot of people. Awesome. I'm still going to go pray for him, right? God, we need pencil cases and headphones. Yes, Lord. I'm in. Here's my money, right? Hey, there's a juvenile detention center down the road and they need some people just to volunteer and love on some kids that don't have dads and moms or homes that are, that are healthy like ours. Awesome. Yes, Lord. I'm in, right? Our availability, our willingness and openness. And so what does it look like? I think devout discipleships looks like devout dis- discipleship. Devout discipleship we see modeled by Ananias and says um, he was a disciple according to the law. So I think back to this law thing, right? This Pharisee thing, right? Others before him were devoted to the Lord according to the law, but we see the opposite in Paul and the Pharisees, right? They are, they're not devoted to the man. They're devoted to the law. Ananias was a devout man according to the law, which means he was devoted to the Lord. And because he was devoted to the Lord Jesus, he walked according to the law. Whereas we had the Pharisees, they're so devoted to the law, they can't even let the disciples who are plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath go, or the man with the withered hand. Did you all see that episode of The Chosen? Does anybody watch The Chosen? That is crushing me. Like, I'm like, got the TV on. Okay, babe, got the phone going. And I got the box of tissues. And I'm just cranking out the tears because it's moving. It like paints this realistic picture of what it might've been like to be what? A disciple of Jesus and see this stuff happen in real time. But we see the Pharisees are so devoted to the law that they miss the what? Giver of the law. And so we've gotta be devoted to the giver of the law. And because we're devoted to the giver of the law, it becomes our nature by his grace and his righteousness to walk according to the law. Does that make sense? Y'all with me on that one? So God, and I think this is demonstrated very well. We see what happens at Mount Sinai, right? With the, the Mosaic law. And I, I stole this from a, a guy's name, Samuel Whitfield. He writes this great book about discipleship. And um, this is one section that really stuck out to me as I was praying and studying this week is that God wanted a people of Israel to gaze at him and hear his voice so that they would embrace his commandments and turn from sin, right? He didn't want them to just hear the law and okay, we're gonna do these things. He wanted them to embrace him and gaze gaze at him so that they could then embrace the law. He wanted to disciple them with his presence. God wants to disciple us with his presence, right? Not just a, a book that he hands us to do these things. He wants to sit with us. And that's why I feel like that passage about Enoch is so present this morning is that the Lord just wants to sit with us this morning and disciple us with his presence. See, the Exodus story was the result of God's action on behalf of a people, not his response to their perfect law keeping, right? God saved his people from slavery. He said, look at me. Okay, and here's some ways that you can stay in constant relationship with me by following some of these things. It'll help you be closer to me, right? And so the law was given as a set of guidelines after God saved Israel. And I, and I love this. And I'm just, this is a quote that I'm reading out. Unfortunately, I don't think I got up on the board, but it says the, the law, it was not a legalistic and in, it was not legalistic. So we're not talking about legalism here. It said that the law, it was, it anticipated that people would sin by defining a system of sacrifices and instructions for repentance when they sin. So he used the law to define, hey, this is how you stay in right relationship with me. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking with me? I don't want to lose you on this point. Um, but the Mosaic law set in context for Israel 
it set the context for them to be discipled by beholding the presence of God, right? So he brings them to Mount Sinai. He says, look at me. Okay, here's some ways that you can stay in relationship with me. And so that's the purpose of the law. It's not to beat us over the heads. It's look at Jesus. Whoa, your face is like the sun. Your eyes, they're like fire. Your hair, it's white as wool. You're so wise. You're like the greater Solomon, right? Your feet are burnished bronze. You're not moving. Go look at Song of Songs 5, right? Your head is pure, solid gold. Your leadership is perfect. It's valuable. It's perfect. It's beautiful, right? This is that God, man. Okay, Lord, how can I be closer to you? Awesome. I will, I'm happy to do whatever it takes to be closer to you because we're seeing the beauty of Jesus and then we're walking into, um, we're walking rightly with him, right? So disciples have a good reputation. Proverbs 22, 1, it says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. Ananias had a, a great reputation among the Jews, right? That's what it says about him. And how does, that's, it's just that idea of like our name is valuable, right? It's good to have a good reputation. It's more important than making a ton of money or being super successful in the world's eyes. All right, let's jump on to verse 11 and 12. Are you all with me? All right, hopefully this is stirring something in your heart, is it? Beholding Jesus, just think, beholding Jesus, just beholding Jesus. And I love how the worship team this morning led us before Jesus, that second song. I lost it because it was just about, we just want to see Jesus, right? His eyes, they're filled with love for us. And that's his posture towards us this morning. So in verses 11 and 12, I love this conversation. It says, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And what was Ananias' response? What did he say? Pick me, pick me. Here I am, here I am. I'm right here, I'm right here. And the Lord, I I don't think the Lord was looking through a crowd, but that was his response, right? Here I am, Lord. I'm ready, right? Good soldier. He's he's ready, and uh, and he says, "Rise up and go to the straight, the street called straight." So I think it's it's beautiful that the Lord it says in Isaiah twenty six eleven that the Lord makes level the path of the righteous, and I think it's interesting that that the Lord took Saul down straight street, right to Judas's house. So go down the straight street uh, to the house of Judas and look for a man named Saul. For behold, he's praying. He's seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on his eyes, so he might regain his sight. I love this. Because where does the Lord start? He starts with what? Ananias' name. I love that. Where does God start in this conversation? He starts with his name. And I feel like the Lord, he knows our name. The creator of the universe, right? The one who breathed and then spoke. Sebastian and I, we've been going trying to remember the first couple of verses in Genesis. And I love it because I just say it and then he'll say it and I say it and I say it. Changing his diaper, I just say it, say it. Right, and it says that the Lord, he, he spoke. He said, let there be light. Because Genesis 1 God knows my name. Just let that sink in for a second, okay? He knows your name and your name is important and it's, it's a big part of who you are. So some of us, I think, need to hear this this morning, that the, the perfect triune God, the one who was from the beginning, he knows our name. He knows us intimately and he has designed us and created us and breathed life into us. So I started there. I just, that really stuck out to me. Um, that God knew Ananias' name. And I think that's super important because the Lord knows our name. And then he, he starts the conversation there, right? And so um, we, we move forward um, to verse 13. It says that God will allow in his wisdom what he could easily do in his power. I love this. He calls, that's not what it says in verse 13. This is just a kind of a statement I want us to kind of think about for a second. God will allow in his wisdom what he could easily do in his power. So could God have just gone right to Saul and opened up his eyes from blindness without Ananias? Yeah, right? But the Lord works through his people, right? He wants us to be in community and relationship together. So he'll deliver something to me that you might need, or he'll deliver something to Seth, my man, who shows up Wednesdays in the Word that I needed to hear. 
for my life, right? We need each other in community. And so he works through people. I don't know why. It's an imperfect system, right? Because we are not perfect people, but he loves his family. And he, so he, he knows our name. He works through people. And so he's doing the work. We just get to what? Join him in it, right? God does the work. He wants us to join us. He wants us to get off the bench into the game. He wants us to stop listening to the game on the radio and on the podcast and all these things. Those things are good, but he's calling us just to get in the game, right? Here I am, Lord. Okay, you want to work through me? Awesome. It might be a little messy. That's okay. Verse 13, 14, 15, 16. Ananias answers, and then he has this conversation with the Lord. He says, I've heard about this guy. He's done evil to your saints in Jerusalem. He has authority from the chief priests. He's going to put me in jail, Lord, right? That's kind of his response. So I mean, just think about it, right? Ananias is here. He gets his word from the Lord. And then he's like, okay, Lord, this is, this is pretty tough. I've heard about this guy. I, I, like, do you know who this guy is, Lord? I mean, that's kind of like, right? He's like, do you know who he is? And the Lord says to him, he says, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer me. And when he gets to that point, Ananias is like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's how he was in his heart, but like, he's gonna suffer for you, Lord? Okay, I'm a little more excited to deliver the news. Um, because I've seen the way he's made others suffer, right? I, now, I doubt that was Ananias' heart posture, right? He was a devout man according to the law. He had a good reputation. But I just got to imagine it did help ease the pain a little bit. But then you got to think like Ananias, he's like going out on a limb here. Like how many of you have ever received like a word of instruction like that from the Lord or a vision like that from the Lord? Is that anyone? I don't know. I think, I think the closest thing I got was, um, I don't know if, I think Nick actually shared this story last week, but uh, we had a rough night of no sleep. And uh, I was just definitely like enemy. Sometimes he just comes in and likes to attack, especially your kids. And uh, so whether it's through terrible nightmares or whatever. And so Joseph was having some struggle sleeping. And uh, so we were praying with him a good bit during the night, just teaching him like, hey man, this is, Jesus is with you. Like, let's let's keep, let's, whatever we're meditating on, let's keep pressing into that. And uh, but I was super tired. And so I woke up really tired and I was like, okay, Lord. So what you want to do this morning? I felt like the Lord was like Dunkin' Donuts. And I was like, yes, Dunkin' Donuts. So I get, I go to Dunkin' Donuts and I mobile order my coffee and I roll into Dunkin' Donuts and it's sitting right there. And, uh, and there's this guy behind the, the counter. And I'm like, you know what, Lord, let's get after it this morning. You know, last night I felt like we were under attack. So let's just, I'm going to put my sword on. I want to, I want to be advancing your kingdom. And so I go up guy and Hey man, what's your name? This guy's name tag on, but it's good to hear somebody's name from their own lips. Right. And, uh, and, and so I just started talking to him and just had an opportunity. I was like, Hey man, how can I be praying for you? Like, I love Jesus. I want to share the gospel of Jesus with you. And, uh, and he was like, Oh, well, I'm Catholic. And he shared some things. Uh, there was a brother in the family that got recently healed from cancer. Awesome. Anything else you need prayer for? Awesome. Well, Hey, I just want to know, like, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And he was like, he didn't really know. I was like, well, can I just sh- quickly share the gospel with you? Can I pray for you? I did. And, uh, and just moved on. And so now when I go back to Dunkin' Donuts, I got a friend, his name's Fernando, and I get to continue to be a witness to him, right? That's what it means to be a witness. We just share Jesus. And as I'm walking out of the parking lot, um, I just saw this truck over on the other side. And I felt like the Lord was like, go pray for that dude. And I was like, man, it is 5.45 in the morning. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord, right? Because that's what I want to be. I just want to be used as a vessel. And so I go over to this guy and as I'm praying for him, come to find out, or I ask him, it's a little awkward conversation. Like, who are you? And he's like, hey, and um, I come to find out um, his brother two days earlier had been, had been murdered and, um, and he needed someone to pray with him. And so I pull my car around behind him. I say, Hey man, I just want to pray for you. And, uh, he, he holds, he holds up, he got out of his car before I could even get out of mine, he comes up and we just pray together. And I just said, Hey, I think the Lord just wants you to know he loves you. And so I think sometimes that's where we, we just need to be available. 
like at 5.45 in the morning, Lord, what do you want to do today? And don't, don't doubt, just go with it. I mean, what happens? You're wrong and you look a little silly? Okay, I can deal with that, right? But let's not let the fear of man, what man thinks, outrule the fear of God, right? Let's be more in line and heart for the Lord than I am about what man thinks of me. And so I just started with like every cash register I go to, I'm going to pray for that cash register person, whoever they are. And I'm going to ask them their name. It's a great way to start the conversation. Hey, what's your name? What's your name? Hey, my name. Hey, Ananias, right? How cool would it be if every time I went up, I already knew their name without the name tag? That would be awesome. Ask the Lord for that. It's words of knowledge. It's a spiritual gift. You can get it by asking the Holy Spirit for help. And so um, that's just kind of the posture that we want to put ourselves before because Ananias was struggling, right? He's like, Lord, did you really speak to me? Right? Like, Lord, you know who this guy is. Like, right? Like, you know who he's, you know what he's doing. And, uh, and the cool thing is, is I love this. As disciples, we do what? We bring our cares to the Lord. There's an invitation to bring our cares to the Lord, right? So we bring our cares to the Lord. And I love this, that he brings his concerns to the Lord. And the Lord's not going to just like slap him. Like, come on, like, no, that's not. The Lord responds, right? He gives him another word of encouragement that, hey, this guy, this is the mission. This is what is going to happen to him. Go deliver the mail. And Ananias is like, okay, I'm going. And so, by the way, Paul does suffer. We see this in 2.11, 24 to 25. It says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. Day and night I spent in deep water. I just wonder if in that vision where Ananias is having this conversation with the Lord, the Lord just starts giving him flashes. This is what Saul's life is going to look like. And I bet what happens in Ananias' heart is compassion begins to well up. Right? He sees what he's going to suffer for the kingdom of God. And compassion begins to well up. He begins to have like deep compassion. He's like, you know what, Lord? This dude is going to suffer And so I want to go lay my hands on it. I want to impart something to him that will last a lifetime. And you know what happens? Recorded in chapter 22, Ananias says to Paul, he says, God has appointed you to know his will. He has appointed you to see his righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you're going to go and you're going to be a witness to him. He gets this prophetic revelation as he goes and lays hands on Paul. And I don't think that would have happened had the Lord not met with him in that moment and he had asked that question, what I'm doubting. This man's been killing people. And I think the Lord just, there was something that happened. We don't get to see all the vision, right? It's not in the text, so I don't want to read into the text, but I also want us to understand we didn't see everything that was in the vision either, right? Because Paul's account differs a little bit from Ananias' account and from the, the two accounts here. But I think there was some compassion that welled up in his, in his heart, just like when Jesus, right? And so as a disciple, we got to have some compassion welling up in our hearts. You all with me? Oh, I don't want to go too long. So there's, uh, I think there's two other things. I mean, there's so much text here, right? That's the beautiful thing about it. Uh, we could just read this all day. But um, there's two other things that I wanted us to kind of hone in on. Um, disciples. So we're talking about disciples, right? Disciples are chosen, right? So Jesus, he goes around and he handpicks his disciples. And so he's, he's, he's picking out Ananias in this moment. He's picked out Saul, his enemy. He's picked him out, right? So the Lord chooses us. And, uh, and then disciples are called to carry his name. So it's not about Ananias' name, right? It's about what? Introducing Saul to who? Jesus. Yeah, it's the Sunday school answer. We can all say it. But that's the reality, right? He introduces him to Jesus, this man who's worthy to be beheld. And so um, I think I'm just going to kind of pause there. Is that all right with you all? Um, 
there's two things that stuck out at the very end about Ananias. He comes in and he lays hands on Saul and he calls him his brother. And I love this. This really stuck out. It came up in our Wednesdays of the Word time. It came up when Abigail and I were praying and talking about this. And the funny thing is, is it came up the other night when I was putting Izzy to bed. She goes, she goes, Dad, why do you call everybody brother? Well, that's a good question. And so I just proceeded to explain to her. I was like, I'm a part of a family. I'm a part of God's family. And I get to call you sister, you brother, because of the work Jesus did. And there's a lot of us who maybe don't even have families, blood families, right? Or a real family, blood family, whatever you're going to call it. But the family of God is what we get invited into. We get invited into sister, brother. And so that's why I explained to her. I was like, well, when somebody comes into God's family, you get to call them brother and sister. And she was excited about that because she's been praying for a long time for another baby sister that hasn't appeared yet. And I was really excited about that too, because then I can say, hey, actually, hey, Sharon's coming over tomorrow. She's your sister. No, Katie and Claire, they're your sisters. These are these are in the family of God. And I love that because we get brought into the family. And so I love how Ananias approaches Saul. He says, what? Brother. He goes from being murderer and adversary and enemy to what? Instantaneously, he's brother. And that's what Jesus calls us into. And I think I think that's where the Lord wants us to rest this morning is that we're in the family of God. And as a family, we get to just sit before him and behold him. And so there's so many things we could pull out of this text, probably a million things. I'm living to the curb, but you all go study it, see what the Lord reveals to you. There's a couple of things that I feel like the Lord revealed to me. And so I'll go ahead and have the worship team come on back up. I want to honor your time this morning. And um, yeah, I'm just going to share one last story as the team comes up here. So beautiful thing about the family of God. And I just want to come back to this um, earlier. I said, there's two things that really hope Holy Spirit wanted us to gather. And one was no assignment in the kingdom of God is too small. So no assignment is too small. And uh, there's this story. I don't know if you've ever heard of the man named Edward Kimball. Does anybody know that name? Yeah, I wouldn't think so. So Edward Kimball, he was a Sunday school teacher back in the 1800s. 1800, yep. And um, he is the man who taught um, Dwight L. Moody. Does anybody know D.L. Moody? He's a pretty renowned evangelist, right? And uh, D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman. I identify with that because I sell copiers, not shoes. But anyway, he was working and he was making money. And this Sunday school teacher was teaching him, 17 years old. He didn't want anything to do with God. And um, he shared the gospel with him and he kept pursuing him. He walked into his shop, led him to the Lord. D.L. Moody comes to the Lord and uh, his legacy is, is legend, but... Through D.L. Moody, a man named John Wilbur Chapman came to know the Lord. He's a Presbyterian minister and evangelist. Billy Sunday, through that trail, is another famous evangelist. Just do, do the reading on these dudes and you'll see some of the awesome, powerful things. Uh, another man, Mordecai Hams. So we're just coming down the line, right? So this Sunday school teacher, but I love what Michelle shared this morning, right? Roots and shoots, right? Just the little assignment of, of our kids. It may feel like a small one but it's not. A little assignment of our neighbor or our person or whoever we're with, right? Um, and through Mordecai Ham, a 16-year-old man named Billy Graham came to the Lord. And so we just see this progression, right? Ananias, who is this dude? Nobody knows. There's a little bit of description about him, but he was faithful to do what? Yes, Lord. And where, why was he faithful to do that? Because what was he doing in that moment? That vision came. What was he doing? He was beholding Jesus. He was just looking at Jesus. You're beautiful. 
You're lovely. You're perfect. You're pure. I just want to be with you, Jesus. And then what happens? You get assignments. When you're sitting in the presence of God and you're pursuing Jesus, you're just looking at him. What happens? Boom, here's your assignment. Go to Straight Street. Pray for this dude. Scales are going to fall off his eyes. And then you're going to pray for him and he's going to get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to write a bunch of epistles. He's going to get beaten. He's, this is what's going to happen to him. Like maybe that's the little assignment that the Lord has for us, but it all starts in the place of what? At Jesus' feet, just sitting, beholding, looking. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of your attention. He's worthy of our attention. You want to agree with me? So I'm going to stop there. I want the worship team just to lead us into the presence of Jesus. We're going to, we're going to rest and wait on the Lord. And then we'll, we'll break bread together. And then we'll have some time to pray. Sound good? All right, so worship team, take us in the presence of Jesus.